Hi, my name is Paul Johnson, and I'm a counsellor here at the University of Bath and a very occasional podcast host. In this episode, we're talking men's mental health with Matthew Legg, a former student here. During his time at the university, Matt went through a long and difficult period of depression and then used this experience as a spur to setting up a unique mental health initiative based around football. With his cousin Ian, Matt set up FC Not Alone as a way to help improve male mental health and reduce male suicide. Shockingly, suicide is the UK's biggest killer of men aged under 45. Every single week in the UK, more than 80 men in this age range take their own life. There's a lot we can all learn, especially men, from Matt's story and from what he's discovered by setting up FC Not Alone. So without further delay, please enjoy my interview with Matt Legg. Okay, Matt, well, thanks for joining us. Uh, really great to have you on. First of all, I'd be really interested to hear you just tell us the story of how you got to the point where you decided to create FC Not Alone, because I know it was quite a journey for you. Yeah, of course. I'll be happy to. And thanks for having me here. Uh, so in 2018, I was really kind of forced uh, to defer my studies, not by the university, but more just by uh, reality, really, to defer my studies because I had quite a severe battle with depression at the time. It just took away uh, everything who made me who I was. And I found just the basic tasks in life very difficult, let alone having to try and study whilst doing that. So I took some time out, got the help that I needed, and it was quite a long road. But once I got better, I kind of felt like the topic of men's mental health, especially amongst young men, given it is the highest killer of men under 45 in the UK, was really under-discussed. And also I felt very grateful to receive the treatment I had, and I know other people weren't as lucky. So my cousin and I set about holding a one-off tournament under the name FC Not Alone, big football tournament of 24 teams to raise money for campaign against living miserably calm and other services that had helped me in my recovery from depression. And then the tournament was successful and we realised we wanted to do more. So since then, we've held panel sessions, uh, free for all football sessions and other tournaments to kind of raise awareness and raise money uh, for men's mental health. Yeah, that's great. Okay, that's a really helpful overview. Thanks. Can I just take you back a bit to the beginning of that story that you just sketched out there? And yeah, well, forgive me for asking this and, you know, feel free to just go into it as much as you feel you want to uh, or feel able to. But how, how bad did it get? You know, how badly affected were you by depression? I mean, clearly bad enough for you to have to suspend your studies. But yeah, just to, can you give me a bit of an idea of just how difficult things got? Yeah, of course. I mean, as bad as you could really predict. I don't think anyone had kind of foreseen how bad it would get in terms of, for me, it's hard to really put into words what living with uh, depression is like. But, you know, having gone to Bath in first year, I was really social and doing well academically. And then just over that summer, for no particular reason, apart from the fact that I'd kind of dealt with anxiety for some years without really understanding what it was, just declined to the point where, it really was difficult to get out of bed and I couldn't communicate. I couldn't get my words out. I struggled sleeping. What uh, suddenly wasn't hungry, didn't enjoy doing anything. I was basically just hid away really from everyone. And then suddenly it came September and I was just wasn't, I was too scared to kind of show my face back at Bath. So yeah, that was, that was really how it was. I mean, it was incredibly surreal. And whilst you're in it, you don't see it getting any better. Your mind plays tricks on you like that, even though there is, you know, so many case studies of people getting better and fortunately I'm one of those now but at the time 
saw no hope and um, just felt like I was incapable of, of doing anything really in the situation I was in. And that was nothing, just had never anticipated that really. So you, you really were at rock bottom then, weren't you? Yeah, I was in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So thankfully, you're out the other side of that. What, yeah. what was it that helped you get back on your feet? Um, to be honest, it was kind of a combination of medication and therapy. Um, once the medication, I found the right one, which is the process in itself, actually, which I was also unaware of. Um, but yeah, I've probably gone through about four different medications till I found one I reacted to. Once that had happened, I was ready to kind of put the things in place to try and get myself better. Um, just little things, you know, the CBT and, and you know, I did compassion therapy and, st and stuff like that. But it was really combining the two, um, starting the process of medication was terrifying. But I'm so thankful now that I did undertake that process because it's really helped me get back on my feet and live a far happier life, really, because it's kind of allowed me to be able to function normally again and also learn techniques to make my life a happier and an easier one day to day really mm, okay and ju just for listeners just to um double click on a couple of the things you said there cbt cognitive behavioral therapy which is a kind of counseling or kind of psychotherapy so it sounds yeah. like that was helpful and also something i think you described as compassion therapy or what might be called compassion focused therapy sometimes yeah yeah it's because it's uh it's been almost kind of three years now I have yeah I've, missed, I've got the title wrong there but no CBT and yeah compassion focused therapy especially actually the compassion focused therapy helped me a lot actually yeah with the CBT it was very good for just rewiring certain things kind of stopping thinking loops that I'd get into that would literally cause me to be unable to sleep at night and then the compassion focused therapy I quite liked it because it gave me kind of a scientific focus on why certain things had happened and why I dealt with things in a certain way and just got me also into kind of meditation-y stuff that mm. I found really helpful. And I can't say I still practice it every day, but I know now I have that kind of toolkit if, if I need to. Yeah, and cult cultivating that uh, capacity for compassion. I mean, that's probably not something that um, I imagine you ever would have thought of before you, you, before you had to confront the difficulties. You know, it's the sort of thing that um, most young men would probably run a mile from, isn't it? The idea of being self-compassionate. Yeah, no, completely alien concept to me. And it took a few weeks to be kind of won round by it, to be honest with you, just because it was so alien. But no, it was it was great. And I used to, when it came to myself, I beat myself up horrifically. I think I probably thought that it was making me kind of improve as a person, being so self-critical, but actually it just dragged me down. And so that's still something, these kind of thought processes are still something I have to think on on a daily basis if I make a mistake and, and stuff like that. Or I do something not very well, deal with a situation not very well. But the self-compassion thing, yeah, as you say, being so alien and something that I would have never even thought of before I was kind of faced with doing the therapy. It is just something that I've applied to myself and it's just made everything a bit easier and probably means I can handle some situations better because the compassion doesn't always need to be, you know, if someone does something, it doesn't, compassion doesn't mean kind of kindness and niceness necessarily. But if, if someone's done something that's upset you, it's always compassionate to be like, you know, tell them if they've, you think they've done something wrong if they're on the wrong path it can be very constructive that way whereas before I would have associated me potentially criticizing myself or another person as something very negative but if it's done in a compassionate way it can actually be very beneficial um so yeah that's something that's helped me yeah sounds like you've learned a hell of a lot along the way about about yourself and, and about what's good and healthy for you and what and uh it's giving you skills that are useful so after going through this what was it that prompted you to kind of widen the 
lens, if you like, and um, actually want to do something uh, in the field of men's mental health? Why did you want to do something with that experience for the for the greater good, if you like, and particularly for men's mental health? Um, I think I think for me, it was such a horrific negative experience uh, that once I got better, I was just it really was just trying to prevent anyone else from from getting in that situation or providing them with the services that were available to them that I was unaware of was the initial part of it. And also, you know, I didn't actually realize at the time the statistics of men's uh, suicide whilst I was depressed, but there was a, you know, a project that came out called Project 84, which eliminated the 84 men per week were taking their lives in the UK. And that number unfortunately since gone up and I just realized it's an enormous problem. And Luckily, now it's coming to the public forum, but at the time it wasn't really. And I didn't know anyone else um, who was 20 who had experienced depression, had to defer from uni. So I just I just realised that, you know, I thought something should be done. And I'd come from such a supportive environment that actually the idea of speaking up about that topic, because I experienced it, I knew how, how real it was, just seemed like something natural to do, really. So yeah, and I'd and received I, I, so much help. It's a stark figure, isn't it? 84 a week, which, as you say, has gone up, uh, yeah. you know, since since that research was done. Uh, mm. and, and you talk about, you know, that being more and more in the public consciousness. And actually, we'll say more about this in a bit. But the work you've done has helped bring that about, hasn't it? You've actually contributed. I mean, the work that you've done through FC Not Alone, it has garnered some significant publicity. So, you know, I just want to kind of pay tribute to you because you've been very much part of um part of that drive to to make people aware of that and actually do do something about it so um maybe yeah we'll, we'll say some more about that in a moment but first of all having had that um belief and idea and inspiration really to try and do something in this field why football specifically I mean what's your own personal interest in football and why did you think it was going to be a useful kind of platform for uh, for this initiative so I started this initiative with my cousin and for us kind of the basis of our relationship between football and then just realised how big a part of kind of UK culture football is. And so in order to kind of start the conversation around men's mental health, it'd be quite easy to do it surrounding the vehicle of football. So if you go into a pub, men instantly, if you're meeting someone, talk about football or, or if you're on holiday and you meet someone you don't know, what team do you support? And that's got such an easy conversation, such a comfortable conversation. So our idea was if you could have kind of the mental health conversation as easy as you could have that, it would be amazing. And also just along with football and any other uh, sport, all the kind of scientific benefits it brings to you in terms of endorphins and stuff like that, it just seemed like a perfect combination. And it made something that was kind of uh, difficult for people to join in on in terms of conversation with mental health. Once you put football on it, it kind of put a safety blanket around it, I think. So it was just, it felt like two things that would fall naturally together and unfortunately, everyone's reacted and lifted it uh, to where it is today with FC Not Alone because it's ultimately a community project and without people's reaction, it would be nowhere near kind of the, the size it's got to, to recently, which is still a kind of a local level, but it's, you know, it's, it has progressed. And what, what about your own footballing background? I think you're a Fulham fan, aren't you? And are you much of a player? Yeah. I try. I love it. I love it to pieces. And it's been so big for me in terms of meeting friends and, and social groups amongst the years. I mean, when I started at Bath, I threw myself into all the football teams and some are in, some I didn't, but it just sets you up and you're kind of working towards a team goal and then you go have a, a drink after the game and it's so good. So I'm not much of a player, but I'm a trier, I'm a utility player and uh, 
being a Fulham fan has definitely tested my resilience over the years, but I wouldn't <laughs> change it for the world. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we'll, uh, we won't worry too much whether that's contributed or harmed your mental health. <laughs> Maybe a bit of both. Um, I'd say so net positive. <laughs> net positive, great. Right. So when you set up FC Not Alone, my understanding is you, you partnered with the charity Campaign Against Living Miserably, or CALM, yes. C-A-L-M, and you started with these two seven-a-side football tournaments. Um, they were your two kind of early initiatives. How did they go and what kind of response did, did you get in terms of involvement of people and, I guess, kind of publicity as well? Yeah, I mean, they've been the two highlights for me of, of the FC Not Alone journey, without a shadow of a doubt. And maybe it, potentially in my life, in terms of the proudest things I've ever done, those two days with the tournaments have just been massive. So the first tournament was probably about three, four months after my recovery. And then there was 24 teams. There's about 240 players and extra people there to come and support. And it was just breathtaking that, you know, the situation had changed so quickly from kind of being isolated and alone to have it. 240 people coming together for, for a cause for calm and because it did quite well and it was World Cup summer and we did it at Wembley got a little bit of press attention and stuff and then the next year some other uh, TV opportunities had happened to the point where the first year at the tournament I probably knew 70% of the people and the second year I probably knew about 30% so suddenly you have this whole and it was bigger so about 400 people in the second tournament including a couple of professional footballers which was unplanned and you then had people you didn't even know coming together, having this massive discussion about men's mental health whilst playing highly competitive football. And um, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, sounds amazing. It's gone from strength to strength. Have you got any idea how much, I know it wasn't purely about fundraising, but how much money you've raised through the FC Not Alone initiative since you started it up? Do you, have you got those figures in your, hand, in your head even approximately? I think it's approximately about £25,000. Um, but the fundraising efforts have had to stop since COVID. So we'd like to progress that in the near future because it's very hard to fundraise when your main fundraising event is is impossible for, you know, correct reasons. But yeah, but yeah. so and for me, the big thing is at Calm, it's um, £8 a call. You know, for them to have someone trained and, and take a call from someone who's potentially in a life-threatening position, it's £8. So the number of calls that we fund is kind of the thing I, I focus on really. And it, yeah, very proud of it. And Yeah. Well, that's a lot of potentially life-saving conversations that, that calm are able to have with people then. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. That's excellent. What are your plans then post COVID? I mean, let's be optimistic and say that, you know, football and other aspects of normal life can yeah, yeah. resume. Um, what what have you got particular plans? I know you're in a career now, so obviously um, this is not your full time focus. But what what kind of plans and ideas have you got for uh, for the future of FC Not Alone? Uh, for the future, so uh, as of March, we are now partnered with Adidas, which is kind of a massive move, given that you know all the powers they have and resources they have in in the world of football and the world of sport generally. Um, so we're part of the Adidas Football Collective and with that we get some funding and so the hope is to have these kind of free for all football sessions where you know anyone can come down free of charge and play football um, in the hope that people who would have never played football out of fear because it's quite an intimidating environment when you first walk into it can come and experience all the benefits of football uh, especially if they're struggling and it can hopefully kind of create their own support networks amongst themselves all our coaches we've found now and recruited are all mental health uh, first aid qualified, which is a big part. 
and then aside from that it'll just be raising awareness um and trying to find future projects for us whether that is kind of going into going to schools or going into businesses and finding workshops because as much as kind of i'd say in bath and london there's awareness on men's mental health uh, and many people from other ends of the country where that's still not the case so it's just trying to kind of spread that awareness and trying to kind of support as many people as we can and, and signpost them to the right services if, if they need to use them. Okay, that's great. So if people are interested in finding out more or supporting um, your work, including making a donation maybe, where, where can they find out more and how can they um, keep in touch with what, what you're up to? I mean, presumably you've got a website, haven't you? And I guess you're on some of the social platforms. Yeah, we are. So we have our we have our website now, which is www.fcnotalone.com. Uh, on Instagram, it's FC Not Alone. Twitter, FC Not Alone. Facebook, FC Not Alone. And also now we have a we have I think ten journalists in our books. So once a day, some uh, form of content will be released about something to do with mental health in in the sporting world, which has added like a nice new element to our website and to our to our content. So. Yeah, anyone's welcome to join, message, get involved. We're always looking for volunteers, more people. So, yeah. Excellent. Okay, so loads of ways for people to, to keep up to date with it and get involved with it. And you never know, also make a, make a donation as well to the work you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay. So from your own experience and what you've learned getting involved in this field, because I'm sure you've, you've learned a lot, not just from your personal experience, but from kind of immersing yourself in this whole world of men's mental health. What, what tips would you have or advice um, for blokes who are struggling with their mental health in one way or another? I mean, I know it's hard because it's very much case by case, but is there anything that you can pass on from your own experience and your own learning over the last couple of years? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's easy uh, for me kind of to, to suggest advice. When I look back at my own case and I left it far too long to acknowledge that something wasn't right. I didn't speak to anyone until something wasn't right. So if you have any kind of idea that something's not right, if you're struggling to sleep, you're sleeping too much, you're not enjoying certain things like you used to, just reach out to someone, whether it's, you know, to student services, if you're at Bath, or to a loved one, someone you trust, a friend, uh, really as soon as you can. And maybe you have that conversation and it sorts everything out and, and that's brilliant. Uh, or you start the journey a lot earlier than, than I did in terms of, finding something that might might help you long-term, um, whether that's some form of speaking therapy or along along those lines. So that'd be my main source of advice. It's so normal, you know, one in four people a year will suffer with a mental health issue. So don't feel like you are alone and just, yeah, get talking. And also my advice would be to the friends of those people, if you see your friend acting a bit off, don't be scared to have a conversation and check in because it could be an incredibly important conversation and incredibly beneficial so you know own being a friend and look after your mates but just if you're the person struggling don't be worried to to speak out and start that journey to help it's really not as scary as it seems to be and you won't regret it at all Great, Matt, you put it beautifully. I can't add anything to that. That's fantastic. Just really want to thank you for sitting down with me to talk about all this, um, you know, because you've gone into some personal stuff here as well, as well as the work you're doing. So I really, really appreciate that. It's, you know, you're a good, you know, living example of what you just said, of being willing to open up and talk about this stuff and bring it out into the open and the value of doing that. So I really appreciate that. Thanks very much.
Thank you, Paul. Thanks for your time. And yeah, I really appreciate all your comments too. Okay, all the best with everything.